Many months ago when we were uh, uh, preparing some things for the year and, and preparing our sermonic calendar, now we got together as a staff, all of us got together as a staff, and our minister of music, Mark Willie, uh, pointed out that while we don't have a set liturgy within, within Adventism that we come to year after year, he thought that there are subjects, there are themes within Adventism that we should, should examine again and again, year after year. And everyone on the staff seemed to enjoy this idea except for me. I don't know if it's because I don't like people telling me what they think I should preach or not, um, or maybe it's just because it was such a good idea and it wasn't mine. I was a little bit jealous about that. But I began to warm to it as I saw the staff to warm to it, and, and I began to warm to it, and I realized he's right. There are things that we need to, to speak of again and again, not just by chance, but with intentionality. One of the reasons I've warmed to this is because I observe so many areas of theology and practical living that, that, that I believe God has blessed our, our community of faith with, that, that we are not appreciating the way that we should. Maybe even some things that we, that we take for granted. Maybe in many cases, we're actually moving away from some of these ideas. In practical areas, I think of, of, of teachings like the health message, the biblical health message, or, or our, our message, the biblical message of how we are to educate our young people. You know, it's interesting, people in the world are running towards these ideas. I read in the Los Angeles Times one time a headline like this. It's the third largest newspaper in circulation in the United States with over 600,000 readers, but uh, that's from the hard copy, not actually the, the online. 600,000 people still actually read a hard copy. It's amazing, but um, they said this. He, he, uh, the writer said this, pursuing education reform might mean going the way of the Adventists. And about the biblical health message that the Adventists have taught for years, also from the Los Angeles Times. This is one sentence written by Mary McVean, not an Adventist lady, but listen to what she says. When she was speaking about how the, how the world can learn to live longer and healthier, she says we should take a cue from the Adventists and treat the body like a temple, like a temple. Yet in both of these very practical areas, there is more anecdotal evidence, more than just anecdotal evidence to show that those who are actually members of the Adventist church, Adventist faith, are moving away from these ideas rather than embracing them the way that we should. But it's not only these practical areas, there's also other areas such as the Sabbath. Yes, most of us, I would say the vast majority of us in here believe, and many watching online, believe that, that Saturday is, is the Sabbath, but we're moving away from the idea of what this means as an entire day. Some people say, well, I went to church and I did my Sabbath thing and now I go on with the rest of my day just as any other day. The interesting thing is, is that again, I'm reading literature from, from people that are outside of this community of faith and they're, they're writing things that, that while they may not have the day that I agree with, they're writing things that I would say, that is something we need to hold to, we need to embrace. Listen to this, just something that was written last year. A day focused on being still and knowing that God is God brings a rest that can't be matched by things that are weakened. And she talks about, the writer is using the word W-E-E-K-E-N-D. In other words, having a day set apart can't be matched by just taking the rest of the general weekend without that day being Sabbath. This is what the writer says. 
She says Sabbath and holiness go hand in hand. Sabbath practices such as cleaning and preparing our homes beforehand, putting work and unfinished projects away, writing down and physically setting aside concerns, and spending time in fellowship with God and others relieve daily life stress and the strain that comes from trying to control our own lives, which can only be found in a holy Sabbath. What? That could have been an Adventist writing that. Put aside your things on Friday or on the day before. But it wasn't. It was published last year by the editor of the Point Loma, Loma Nazarene University in San Diego, California, in their school newspaper. So today, we're going to look at, at one of our important, important teachings. And on Sabbath, June 9, we're going to look at what makes us Adventists. We're going to look at the topic of the seventh, second coming. Then in the fall, Ed Zinke is going to be talking to us, and I think Kirsten Zinke is going to join him, talking to us about creation. Bill Knott's going to talk to us about the Sabbath. Uh, Galena Stele is going to speak to us about the spirit of prophecy, and we're going to cover some other things. So we're going to have series throughout the year, but in the midst of them, we're going to intersperse some of these important topics. And we're not just going to do it this year. We're going to come back to these again, because these are important for us to review again and again from different angles, so that we remember the blessing of truth that we received, and also hopefully that it will impact our lives and cause us to walk more in those ways. But today, we're starting off actually with what I would call the topic of the neglected third of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. Now, I just talked about ideas that we've embraced and, and, and in some ways we've gone away from, we've, we've pushed away from. This topic, actually, the Holy Spirit, unlike the teachings I just mentioned previously, is not an idea, actually, that we've ever done a great job corporately at embracing the idea of the Holy Spirit, the, 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 the complete abandoned surrenderment to the power of the Holy Spirit. We in Adventism, and I don't mean individuals, because I know there are individuals that, that have have been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit within the church, but, but we as the collective corporate body have struggled with truly being surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit throughout the history of our church. You can read it throughout the literature that this has been a challenge for us. Ellen White wrote back in, 19, in the early 1900s, 1903 in fact, she wrote this. Christ declared that the divine influence of the Spirit was to be with his followers until the, until the end. But the promise is not appreciated as it should be. And therefore, its fulfillment is not seen as it might be. The promise of the Spirit is a, is a matter little thought of, and the result is only what might be expected, she wrote. Spiritual drought, spiritual darkness, spiritual declension, and death. Why, she asked, do we not hunger and thirst for the gift of the Spirit? Since this is, this is the means by which we are to receive all power. Why do we not talk of it, pray for it, preach concerning it? Why, she asks. It's from the book Christian Service. Why do we not appreciate the gift of the Holy Spirit and the teaching of the Holy Spirit that we have the way that we should. I do not have time, nor do I think I fully understand why we have not fully embraced the power of the Holy Spirit the way we should as a corporate body. 
But today I want to take a few moments to share with you one reason, just one. There, there are a multitude of reasons why every day we should fall on our knees and cry out and beg for the power of the Holy Spirit. But today I want to share with you just one reason why I believe that each one of us would be so well served, would be so blessed to every single day in, in, in intentional petition to God, say, God, please send me the power of the Holy Spirit. And that one reason is assurance, assurance. If you'll turn your Bibles with me to the book of 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3. The book of 1 John was written, I believe, as a pastoral word of assurance. Yes, John's combating some, some false teachings that were going on, but, but, but I believe his primary purpose was to assure the readers of their standing as God's children. The reason why I say that is found right in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. When John wrote this, he said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants this group of believers, he wants these people to have assurance that they have eternal life. Not just say, well, I think I'm saved, or I hope I'm saved, but to know that they have eternal life. Yes, John writes about recognizing the difference between believers and unbelievers and some of the errors that are going on, but ultimately, he wants these people to understand that their salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. The other day, I asked in our prayer meeting, because we have been studying the power of the Holy Spirit in our prayer meeting, and if you would like to join us every Tuesday night at 7 p.m., we get together and we've been studying, and for the last two weeks, we've been looking at the power of the Holy Spirit, and for the next four weeks, we'll be looking at the power of the Holy Spirit. We meet down in the middle school room, and we'd love to have you. We spend about 20 minutes or so uh, looking at a topic, and then we spend the rest of the time, the rest of the hour, uh, praying and sharing with one another. But I asked this question to that group that was there in the room. I asked this question, were any of you raised to believe that it was potentially dangerous to have the assurance of salvation? Were you raised to, to believe that it, that it could be potentially dangerous to have that assurance of salvation? You know what? A majority of heads in the room nodded. They nodded. I believe it was Mayo and Cologne who said, we were taught it was presumptuous to say such things. Anyone remember that word? Presumptuous. Some of you just got your hands up. We're already feeling the Holy Spirit. Good job. Let me ask you this question, a different question than I asked them, but have any of you in your heart worried about your salvation? Have you had those moments where you, were you worried about your salvation? Not, not, not before you accepted Jesus, but since you made a decision for Jesus. Have, have you, like me, had moments where you, you've, you've had a thought like this? Am I really saved? Am I, am I really safe? Am I, am I really secure? My heart hurts for myself and for others who have lived under that burden of a lack of assurance in salvation. The reality that some of us were raised to, and I'll use the language that one lady shared with me after I preached in a, a sermon on uh, assurance in another location, she used this language with me. She said, it is not okay, or we should not presume upon the graces of God, for if we do, we will become lazy in following his commands. 
We should not presume upon the graces of God, for if we do, we'll become lazy in following his commands. And I know some of you were raised with somewhat similar ideas, and this, this, this breaks my heart. And I know that even in my own life, the devil has, has put that on me at times. And this idea must break God's heart as well, too, because he inspired John to write an entire message to assure people that they were indeed children of God, that they were indeed children of God. John said, I want you, I write these things to you so that you will know that you have eternal life. Not so that you can hope that you have it, or you think you have it, or or it looks like you kind of have it, but that you know that you have it. John wrote also earlier in this same uh, epistle, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Do any of you remember singing that song? As kids, behold what manner of love the Father. We sang it with Salty the songbook. I don't know if any of you sang it with Salty. Anyone else sing it with Salty in here? A few of you, good for you. Some of you are like, Salty the songbook, what on earth? He's a blue songbook. You've never seen him? I mean, he's a nice guy. No, Um, my kids still listen to him. It's it's a joke. To the world that's watching, uh, it's a cartoon. It's a cartoon. But behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the sons of God that we should be called the daughters of God, that we should be called the children of God. But then John doesn't end it there. He says, behold, the manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the sons of God, that we should be called the daughters of God, that we should be called the children of God. But John doesn't end it there. He says, and so we are. Definite. Definite. And then verse 2 goes on to say, beloved, we are God's children. And then John uses this word, this very definite word in the English Standard Version, we are God's children now. Absolute. Assurity. We are God's children now. And then John begins to break that down. The evidences of that assurance, the evidences of, of that reality that we are abiding in Christ and Christ is abiding in us. The, the evidences of that, and he talks about being pure in our lives, that, that there's a purity that comes into our lives as we abide with Christ. And this is one of the evidences. Another evidence that John speaks of, speaks of is that, that we, we, our desire for sin grows weaker and we begin to move away from sin and we begin to shun sin. We no longer desire to to continue sinning in the way that we have in the past. Hopefully we don't desire to sin at all. And this is one of the evidences that John says is, is, is is a picture of your salvation. John speaks of another evidence, the evidence of of loving one another. This is an evidence that we are children of God, that we have love one to another. John tells us that keeping God's commandments is an evidence that we are in right relationship with God. Don't ever let anyone tell you that there's no reason to keep the commandments. It's good to keep the commandments. We should keep the commandments of God. And, and it's one of the evidences that we are in right relationship with God, that we keep God's commandments. He starts out with the plural, speaking of the commandments. I think the, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. And then he shifts the plurality from, from plural to singular, and he narrows it down to the commandment, and he states, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. And then he reiterates that in John chapter, uh, in First in John chapter 3, verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in him, and God abides in God, and God in him. These are all evidences 
that we are children of God. Purity in our lives, rejecting sin, loving one another, keeping God's commandments, loving God, and, and again, John reiterating, loving one another. All evidences, and evidences are important. They're important for us, and they're important for the world to show them who we are and what we are about. But sometimes my heart, and maybe sometimes your heart too, even with all the evidences, still struggles with the question, am I safe? Am I secure in Jesus? In spite of all the evidences. And sometimes, sometimes I need more than just the evidence to give me the assurance that I am right with God. Sometimes I need a power beyond what I can see, a power from beyond what even I can know rationally that, that, that I am secure with God. Evidence is good, but sometimes when the devil is attacking, when I'm struggling, in those moments when the world is so dark and the fear is so great, I need another power, a power that is beyond the evidence. I need the power of assurance. And brothers and sisters, here is the reason I want to give you today that we should every single day fall upon our knees and pray for the power of the Holy Spirit because it is in the power of the Holy Spirit that finally we can have that peace of assurance. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 24 states, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. This is an evidence. This is an important evidence. Some of you have been to evangelistic series and, and we've taught on the, the, the commandments of God. If you love me, you keep my what? Commandments. We know that. And we know this, all those who abide in me and I abide in them, they keep my commandments. We know this, this is good, this is important, but we need to read the rest of the text in chapter three and verse 24. Here comes the assurance, not just the evidence, the assurance, and, thi and by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given to us. By this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit he has given to us. John, over and over again in this letter, is trying to reassure these believers that they are children of God. And he gives evidence uh, after evidence that Jesus is who he says he is. He gives evidence to them that Jesus is loving and that Jesus cares for them and that Jesus values them. He reminds us and 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 the original readers that they are children of God by the evidences that they see in their own life. But then he says, beyond all those evidences, here is the guarantee. And I like the way that D.M. Smith, one commentator, wrote it. He said, finally, John invokes the Spirit as the guarantor of the knowledge. A lot of us have a lot of knowledge, but sometimes we need that knowledge to be moved to that level of assurance that confirms to us that we are God's children. This finally, John invokes the Spirit as the guarantor of the knowledge. Y'all, we've probably all been raised that the evidence of our salvation is that we love others, that we keep the commandments of God. But for many of us, these evidences and these things we've been doing in our lives for years and years, and we should keep on doing them, but for many of us, that has not been enough to give us assurance and we still sit there and wonder, 
come week after week and we may say, what's the purpose of this? Am I even saved? And so finally John says, and after all these evidences, there is a guarantor, there is a guarantee of the knowledge that you are children of God and that guarantee is the power of the Holy Spirit in you that God has given you. We need that Holy Spirit. And this isn't just a one-text theology. Paul affirms the same idea in the book of Romans, chapter 8, and verse 16. The book of Romans, chapter 8, and verse 16, Paul says this, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. In other words, it testifies within us that we are children of God. That's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. I know that we know that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to help us to overcome sin. Amen. Can we say amen to that power of the Holy Spirit? And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to, to guide us into all truth. And I say amen to that as well. Thank God that we can understand the Bible through the power of the Holy Spirit. But another role of the Holy Spirit is to give us peace and hope that we are children of God and assurance that we are safe in his care. Can we say amen to that as well? I thank God for that power of the Holy Spirit to do what the evidences sometimes can't do in my life. When I'm scared, when I'm fearful, when the evidence all around testifies that you are a child of God, sometimes I'm still scared and the Holy Spirit can step in and say, by my power, I want to guarantee that you are a child of God. And I want to affirm that in your life. I'm scared of heights. Anyone else scared of heights? I mean, I'm, I'm like literally scared of heights. When I was a kid, I ignored that fear because I didn't want to be called a chicken or a wimp. You know, pride is, is always a, 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 a bad thing. I've jumped off a lot of tall things and done a lot of stupid things out of being called a uh, uh, you know, not wanting to be called a chicken, but I'm, I'm scared of heights. And that fear has not gone away. In fact, I've noticed that it increases as I get older. I don't know what that's about. And I still do some things that I don't want to do because my kids are looking at me and they're saying, oh, I'm scared. I'm like, look, this is nothing. And I'm thinking like, dear Lord, keep me safe. <laughs> well, I was in Chicago. What I know is the Sears Tower. This is when I was an adult. Uh, any of you been there? Sears Tower. It's Willis Tower, I think it's called now. And, and I was in Chicago, and I was an adult, and, and we went up to the 103rd floor. There's an observation deck up there on the 103rd floor. It's now like the tallest building, I think, in, in North America, one of the tallest buildings in North America. Went up to the 103rd floor, and there's this observation deck. And up there on the observation deck, there's just glass windows all over the place. If you've been there, you, you can imagine this. And there's a, there's a place that, that is glass, and you can step out onto it. And, look, and you're over Chicago. And you can look down. And, and we went up there, and you know, Christina went out on the glass. And, and, and I'm, look, I'm there, and, and there's evidence everywhere that it is safe to step over onto that glass. I mean, the evidence is everywhere. There's no signs that say, beware, stepping on the glass may lead to immediate death. You know, there's nothing like that. There's glass, I can see the glass with my eyes, it's clean, but it's not that clean, I can tell that it's there. There's, 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 there's the, the, I see the bolts, you know, locking in the seams and everything, I see the evidence. There's six-year-old kids like jumping up and down on it, and they're not falling through, and no parents seem to be worried about this. There is an abundance of evidence that it is okay, and guess what? I still won't step out onto that glass. 
Go ahead, Christina. That's good. Dayton, yeah. All of you, go. I'm not doing it. Sometimes that's life. There's all the evidence in the world that I'm secure with God. But man, I'm still scared to death. Still have that fear in my soul. And I need a power beyond myself to say it's okay. You're safe. You're a child of God. And John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 24 says, those that abide in him and he abides in them keep the commandments of God and, and we are sure of this because of the spirit that God has given to us, that God has given to us. The evidence may not be enough, folks. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do something in our hearts to confirm God's grace and security in your life. My Uncle Byron died in 1998. He's my dad's oldest brother. He died of AIDS. He was a heroin addict. He got a dirty needle. And he died in 1998. Some point in his life journey, he completely left the Christian thing and ideal. But it wasn't always so. My grandma has told me, or before she passed away, she told me that, that Byron had actually been, growing up, her most conscientious son. He was the most committed and the most dedicated and the most, most thoughtful in regards to the things of God and, 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 and his Christian walk. After my uncle died, my dad told me years later the story. He told me that my uncle, uh, even into his early teen years, had, had struggled with wetting the bed. This was a, this was a struggle that he had. And he had this struggle because of fear. And it, it wasn't fear of the dark. It wasn't fear of the boogeyman. My Uncle Byron was an awesome fighter. Uh, there's some stories I could tell you. I won't tell you in church, but he was, was a good fighter. He could probably beat that boogeyman up. It wasn't fear of not doing well in school. My Uncle Byron was terrified that if Jesus came, he would not be ready. He'd been taught. He'd been taught that if you love me, you keep my commandments. And so he would pray, God, help me to keep your commandments. Have I kept them well enough? And he lived in fear that he hadn't kept them well enough. He would think about, about uh, the danger of being too secure, and, 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 and if he was felt too secure in the Lord, he would actually talk himself out of it because this was presumptuous. Desperately, what my uncle needed was assurance, peace. Eventually, it just got to be too much, and he said, I can't do it, and he gave it all up. He let it all go. Maybe some of you have thought about giving up in this journey of Christianity. Maybe some of you have felt in here, man, I try and 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 I just can't do it. Am I ever going to be good enough? Maybe some of you in here have been miserable Christians. 
You've been miserable in the way that you treated your family. You've been miserable in the way that you treated your kids, miserable in the way that you treated other people in the church because they're not doing the things that you think are okay. And, and it's not really because you're a miserable person. It's because inside of you, you're so scared that you're not good enough to be saved. There's a power beyond all the evidence, folks, and that power is in the guarantor the Holy Spirit. Why should we ask every single day for the power of the Holy Spirit? Because God wants you to have hope and to live in peace. In this very unsure world, God wants you to have peace and assurance. Jesus, we thank you for the assurance that comes through you and you alone. Lord, if there's someone in here that's been struggling with this peace, maybe they've lived their whole Christian walk without the peace that they are a child of God. Lord, may they right now, even in this moment, just cry out to you and say, send me the Holy Spirit power. Lord, and I thank you for answering that prayer for them. Lord, maybe we do need to be convicted of some sins and some struggles in our life. The Holy Spirit does that too, and we thank you for that. But Lord, when we give it over to you, send the Holy Spirit to give us peace and assurance that we can say, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we, that I, should be called a child of God. Answer this prayer, Jesus, I pray on my behalf and on the behalf of my brothers and sisters in here and my brothers and sisters watching around the world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we thank you for assurance. Amen.